Brands and Barbed Wire is sponsored by Cattle Baron Cigars. Cattle Baron Cigars has a rich, natural, aromatic, classic tobacco flavor. Made with the finest tobacco, perfectly blended for the most pleasant, satisfying, long ash you can buy anywhere. Cattle Baron Cigars has consistently scored an excellent in the 90s on their reviews. For more in-depth information on Cattle Baron Cigars, listen to our Brian Mussard podcast episode and visit CattleBaronCigars.com. Welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. I'm your host, Jim Johnson, and I'll take you behind the brands and we'll look through the barbed wire at some of the most iconic ranches in the world. So sit back, kick off your boots, and prepare to be entertained as I introduce you to those captivating stories from the legends of the brands and where there's no barbed wire that's going to hold us back. Welcome back to another episode of Brands and Barbed Wire. Today's guest is an iconic figure in the beef cattle business, especially in Angus circles. He's most well-known as the managing partner at Weirman Angus here in Virginia, We'll get into lots of interesting stories about today's guest, Richard McClung. Many have said they broke the mold when they made Richard McClung, and I'd have to agree. I'm super excited, so let's jump right into it. Richard McClung, welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. Good to be here, Jim. All right. Well, we're we're excited to to speak with you. Obviously, uh, we've known each other a long time, and and. Uh, and but I'm sure there's lots of things I don't know about you, so um, so I'm interested and excited to introduce you to our audience, and uh, and learn more about Richard McClung. So, Richard, for the for the few folks that uh, that listen that might not know who you are or a little about Richard, tell us about yourself. Well, Jim, I was born and raised in the Greenbrier Valley of West Virginia. You would know that area well. Good part of the world, uh, good deep limestone land, a great place to raise cattle. Uh, or livestock of any kind, for that matter. Uh, I grew up in a commercial cow operation, commercial cows, commercial sheep, and the poultry business. And everything and whatever we had to sell, we sold it by the pound. And I think maybe uh, that philosophy, I think like a commercial breeder. Maybe that's the reason, maybe the big reason, why uh, that I enjoyed the uh, degree of success that I did in the purebred world. And um, I was raised close to Lewisburg, West Virginia. Lewisburg, West Virginia is a real unique place um, on, the, on the north side of, of Lewisburg, West Virginia. About two miles north was Greenbrier Stock Farms. A, a registered Angus operation had once upon a time been a great organization, great operation, kind of gone to seed by the time I got started to work there. And two miles w- west of Lewisburg was Hillgate Shorthorns a shorthorn herd and a good one. They showed cattle all over the country and that's about the only way there was to promote cattle at that time. They showed cattle all over the country, including the international in Chicago and they won. Two miles further west was was uh, Marlanda Herford, Horn Herford operation, a great operation. And uh, one of the summers I worked there, we had a reserve champion bull in Chicago. And the next year we had champion bull in Chicago won the best 10 head. So in between uh, high school years, between the summer vacation and high, and high school and the same way in college, <clears throat> I'd work at Greenbrier Stock Farm maybe a summer or two. Then I'd move over and work at Hillgate Shorthorns. And then I'd move on move on over and work at Melinda a couple of summers. By the time I graduated from college, I'd had a pretty good look at three different breeds of cattle. Great education for me at that point. How long had your family been in that in that area? When did sort of the McClungs come to uh, Greenbrier Valley? Oh, uh, Jim, back, way back. I mean, they had to move some Indians off of some land so they could plant corn. So, um, <laughs> so I mean, I mean, back, back, back that far. Yeah, you you've bet. been there several generations ahead of you. Were 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 in that Greenbrier Valley, and that is. If anybody hasn't been to that part of of West Virginia, man, that's just a beautiful, beautiful space on this earth, and and a great place to grow grass, cattle, and people, isn't it? You bet, one of the best. Yeah. So, so you kind of grew up uh, on a commercial operation, but you got got an opportunity to uh, to visit and and some pretty prominent purebred operations at the time, and 
And um, I hadn't heard of the other two, but I, I am familiar with the Morlunda place and, and a beautiful place. And, and so you got opportunity to visit some of those purebred operations and, and learn about them. And, and you, went to, uh, you went to West Virginia University, is that right? Yep, went to University of West Virginia on an athletic scholarship, and um, and you know I was, uh, but as I say, during those summer years, I still worked at one of those purebred Angus purebred operations, whether Angus, Shorthorn, or Hereford, and uh, you know belonged to the block and bridle. I was on the judging team, did all of that, and uh, Susan and I were we went to college together, and and we were married before we got out of college, and uh, but before we graduated from college. We, uh, we had an oppor- opportunity to go back to Greenbrier Stock Farm there in Lewisburg to work there and be farm manager there. And before we graduated from college, we bought 20 head of cows, cold, cold pedigreed cows. When I say cold pedigreed, the pedigrees were not, uh, didn't, didn't quite suit the Eastern establishment, uh, Eastern Angus pedigree establishment. And, uh, and we bought a bull, a Marshall bellboy bred bull which that pedigree was even colder than the cows. Uh, bought that bull, I had an interest in that bull from Conrad Grove, uh, Solil Farms in, in Pennsylvania. When I, when I graduated, I needed know-how to, um, to AI, artificial inseminate. But I'd like to back up a minute. I'd like to back up a minute. Sure. In 1962, I walked into the lobby of the Animal Science Building at the University of West Virginia, and there's a bunch of magazines uh, laying on a, on a table there. And I picked one up, and it was uh, the Texas Cattleman magazine. On the front of that magazine <clears throat> was a picture of a bull called Skyland Mirror 2058. Mm-hmm. He'd just been made a third of, he just made, been made, he was the third, third bull ever to be, make, to be made certified meat sire. And uh, a bull to be made certified meat sire, you know, the calves had to weigh enough. Uh, at any point, at the particular point in times in their life, and they had to cut and they had to grade. And this bull was that. And uh, he was so different from the cattle that, that I'd been used to looking at. Uh, he was long and big top, big rumped. And and he was, he weighed 1,985 pounds coming off the range in, in Perryton, Texas, uh, from breeding cows. And um, I never forgot him. He was very important in my career in the angus business yeah so he he really made an impression on you when you saw him because he was it was that much different than the, than yep. the show cattle and stuff you'd been used to so richard since we're backing up i I didn't know you you went there on an athletic scholarship what kind of what athletic scholarship did you have played baseball did you really well, yeah, that's I was awesome yeah oh yep. and you, you pitched for for wvu then huh I did. I did, Jim, as long as I could handle it, as long as I could do the work, school work, and do that too. When you play, when you play athletics for a major for a major college, it's like carrying another job. And I, when I went to college, I wanted to be a veterinarian, and so I was taking the same courses, the chemistries and the physics and uh, the physiologies, everything that the pre med students for the first two years, and the labs and the labs every afternoon, every afternoon. And there's boys be practicing baseball, and I was in there in the lab or I'd cut lab and be practicing baseball. And it was just, it got to the point where it was not a lot of fun. So after two years, I, I dropped my base, my dropped baseball. Of course, I lost the scholarship, of course. Uh, and I had to concentrate on schoolwork. I had to make a choice. And I, that's the choice I made. Yeah. So one other question. So you met Susan there. Is she from West Virginia too? Or where's, where's she from? Uh, Susan and I grew up together. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you bet. So she's yeah. she's from she's from Lewisburg area as well. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Right. Great. Great. All right. So so picking back up. So you, you're you, you're graduate. You you're working at some of these uh, prominent operations through college. Then after college, you got to you got to go to work at, and and manage the uh, the place there in in Greenbrier County. Yeah. Yep. Greenbrier Stock Farms. And uh, as I say, you know, I'd work there a couple of summers in between college or high school years. And um, went to work there, and we put put our twenty cows in with uh, and and the bull we'd bought into the herd, and uh, we did that, uh, and and we got along good. We built a we built a good bull market, and uh, uh, you know a local, you know uh, you know what a bull market is in West mm-hmm. Virginia, but we built a good bull market in West Virginia, 
and a really good female market. And we topped some uh, bull test stations, and uh, with and, and so we were get, we were getting along great. Mm-hmm. And when that herd of cattle got to the point where it had some some real value, the owner decided he needed to sell out. So he sold out. Um, we we had a dispersal. I moved my cows, and by that time there was a whole lot more than twenty of them, of course. Uh, moved my cows to um, Scottsville, Virginia, Totier Creek, Totier Creek Farm. Started it. Had about fifty head of nondescript cows there, and I put my uh, probably fifty cows with it at that time. And uh, this would have been this would have been um, uh, February of nineteen and sixty nine. In uh, March of 1969, I got this little uh, brochure type thing. It was called Better Beef, little performance uh, paper. And in that paper, um, there was this, uh, I saw that, uh, uh, but let me back up. Jim, let Mm -hmm. me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. When I graduated college, I needed to know how to AI. So I went to to Belvedere, Illinois. and I learned to AI, AI at, at ABS, at ABS school, but it was a dairy school and it lasted two weeks. Oh, and wow. uh, yeah, and we'd, we'd practice AIing in the morning and then in the afternoon we would, uh, we would have classwork, uh, the dairy business, uh, dairy data, uh, salesmanship, uh, paperwork, record keeping of every kind. So that was the first week. And, uh, and that weekend, they chartered a bunch of buses and took us all up to Madison, Wisconsin, which is where the ABS bull stud was at that time. And, um, and in the meantime, ABS had leased Skyline near 2058. All the dairy boys, there was three of us there to uh, do the, uh, the beef AI thing. And uh, we headed for the, uh, we headed one direction, the dairy boys headed the other direction. And the dairy operation there, for the place to keep the dairy bulls was certainly up to date and just a real modern, real nice situation. And the, the beef bulls were all in a rented dairy barn. And I walked in and there stood Skyline Mirror 2058. And uh, he was everything that he should have been. The longest bull I ever saw. Structurally right, big topped, big rump bull. And uh, there he was. And right across from him was a bull called, in a stanchion now, was Rito Enbar. And uh, we've all seen pictures of Rito Enbar, and that's who he was. He was wrapped with muscle, masculine, the most masculine bull I ever saw. And you could just tell that those two bulls would work together. Uh, so anyway, got through that thing, went back to Greenbrier Stock Farms. Now, I'd only been there about two weeks on the job about two weeks went back to Greenbrier stock farms with this handful of data no daughter data but everything else no birth weights and that just uh, pounds growth at the proper points in time and carcass information on those two bulls and see at that time jim there was no open ai you had to own a third you had to own a piece of the bull in order to be able to artificially inseminate to him so uh, here I go with this handful of data and pictures and everything, and I go up to the owner of Greenbrier Stock Farms, and I was on fire. Now, hey, look here, look here. Here's what we can do, and we can have an interest in each of these three bull, each of these two bulls for th- for a thousand dollars a piece. And now uh, I might have come closer, Jim, to being fired sometime, and didn't know it. But that's a close. <laughs> that, but that's but I'm, that's the closest I ever came when I knew it. <laughs> oh, that, that 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 didn't suit at all. That didn't suit at all. So. Anyway, I left Greenbrier Stock Farms in, in February of 1969 and Sotir Creek. And in March again, uh, March of 1969, I saw that. And, and, and in the meantime, Jorgensen's had bought an, uh, Jorgensen's in ideal South Dakota had bought an interest in Skyline Mirror 2058 and Rito Bar. And uh, back early in the game, uh, and uh, Martin Jorgensen was advertising Skyline Mirror 2058 for sale. Just had a lot of daughters and keeping a son who was a better bull and he was for sale. I called Martin Jorgensen that minute. He was patching the roof on his house. He came down off the roof and uh, we talked and I bought the bull from him, his interest for $1,200. Wow. And he said, yeah, $1,200 were the great bulls. 
And he said, uh, now there's probably a thousand units of semen at ABS now. Call and release that. So, so we started at Totier, Totier Creek. And, um, and that was in, in February. And then March night, May 19th of 1969, I was at, I was at Jorgensen's and spent a day there and looking around. And that day I made the deal with Martin to buy 70 cows from Jorgensen's to be delivered in, uh, December of 1969 and, uh, 70 cows, one cow was open, had 69 calves, lost a couple of calves, but 56, 56 of those cows were bred to a bull called Roland Rock Rito 707, a great bull. So we were in the cow business and, uh, my cows and that's 70 cows. And, uh, and I was a greenbreast. I was at Totier Creek a long time. And we did a we did a lot of good things. We had we developed a great bull market for Virginia, but I was beginning to sell some bulls into Florida. I had a had a good bull market and uh, had a great female market. We topped a lot of we showed some cattle and did really well at the major shows, including the international. And and, and we put some we put some bulls in bull studs, topped some bull test stations, and um, going along real well. And in the meantime. I met Roy Wallace, which was very important to me in my career. Leased a bull or two, uh, leased a bull, uh, sold a bull to him, leased a bull to him uh, at Select Sires. And uh, in the meantime, Nick Weirman uh, surfaced. He was getting into cow business and he was buying cattle from this sale and that sale and the other sale. And and, and I, had a, I, had a, I had a good friend, a fellow by the name of Red Thompson, who made a, made a lot of the sales across the country, and he met Nick. In the meantime, Red had, Red had been to Totier Creek, and he'd seen the results of the Jorgensen cattle that I was using, and the, and uh, and he liked them. And uh, and so, he, and Nick Weirman. Now, a little history on Nick. Nick graduated from the University of, of Michigan with a degree in engineer, and he was a he was a numbers man. He lived with numbers and graphs, and that's who he was. And at that time, Jorgensen's probably had the most comprehensive performance program in the in the business at that time. And so Red told him about uh, where uh, the cattle had seen at Totier Creek and about the Jorgensen deal. Red had never been to Jorgensen's at that time either. So Jorgensen's were having a sale, and uh, and uh, Nick went to it. I went to it. I met Nick there. Rode through the cows with him and had a long conversation with him about the program and everything. And Nick bought the high selling bull there that year, and he bought the high selling bull there the next year. And in the meantime, uh, 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 the people that uh, that I was in partnership with at Totier Creek were getting a little older, and they didn't. They kind of wanted to do something else. And during that time, I'd worked a little bit with an operation called International Cattle Management Corporation out of Nesbitt, Mississippi, and they made us a real good offer. For the entire herd of cattle at, at Totier Creek, and so we took it, and 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 Susan and I, and the offer was good enough. We sold our cattle too, and it was a it was a proper thing to do. In the meantime, uh, Nick Weirman was getting serious about his cow business now, and Nick was serious about everything. And uh, he asked Martin Jorgensen, who knows the Jorgensen program better than anybody else in this world, other than the Jorgensons. Well, it was just one person, and that was me. So he gave me a call, and in 19, 1978, October October the 8th of 1978, um, I moved to Cairo, Georgia, and that's that's where Nick's operation was. At that time, he called it Carolina Farms. So we started. We bought, and we had the opportunity for a few years there to uh, – Nick already had quite a few uh, – a lot of cows on the place, a lot of nondescript cows. When he just first got in the business, he just bought, but he bought everything he registered. And there was one thing he did. Everything he bought, ever heard of Cadley body, made sure they were accredited and certified. TB and bangs. And uh, so we had the opportunity to buy, buy the open cows at Jorgensen's for about four years. And we did that. And I would get about two thirds of them bred and the others didn't. So we just moved them on. And so over the years, over the years, we, um, we built, a. Uh, you know, we built a, you, you know, you know, you know, the herd, we built a, a really a nationally known herd, uh, had, had, uh, very successful, put a lot of bulls, put almost somewhere, I, I've lost count, somewhere in the neighborhood of 61 or two or three or four bulls and bull studs. Um, they didn't all stay there. They, um, they, uh, 
we never we never had a bull to be kicked out of a out of a stud because they wouldn't grow, because they wouldn't milk, or because they wouldn't cut. How many? So when you're getting those cows from uh, from Jorgensen's, those open cows, I mean, about how many would that have been at the time? And and um, and I assume they just break checked them, and then you got the opportunity to buy the open cows after that. That's that's exactly right. And they weren't and they weren't cows who had been infertile or anything of that nature. They had had missed a calf a time or two because. That didn't happen to Jorgensen. They, if they missed one, they were gone. And uh, oh, Jim, it wouldn't have been over eight, 10, 15 cows at a time. And uh, but in that bunch, boy, there were some good cows. The eight forty-five cow, seven forty-eight, seven forty-seven, sixty-two ten. You know, great cows. Right. And uh, and I and it just so happened I was able to get those, and I'd get about two thirds of them bred, and uh, they didn't breed for a reason. I'd get about two thirds of them bred, and and they'd never miss another one. You know, there's nothing wrong with those cows; they just missed that one. So, uh, and it was a it was a great big uh, that was a, a great a great thing we did to do that because some of the best cattle we've we've ever had came from those cows. Go back to those cows. So, yes. so Richard, in that process, I know um, I know you sort of 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 kept that Rito and Rita sort of name and, and on some of those cattle, I mean, how did that decision happen? And, and you just, you just wanted to keep tied to the Jorgensen program and, or, you know, what did you, uh, and, and tell me about, I know you, you've also over the years, you had a, sort of an interest, interesting numbering system too. And how, how did you develop that? And, and, you know, that, cause it was different than most people. Well, um, the Rito line of cattle, you know, that Rito in bar, you know, and there was, he was the first Rito there ever was. Why he was named that, I don't know, but we just liked the name. The, then it was just a kind of a natural thing to name the, the females Rita. And we were, we were calling cattle Rito and Rita, and there was more Rito in me than there was in some of those cattle. <laughs> but that was, but that was the name we chose. And if you noticed our pedigrees, <clears throat> we never, uh, we, there was never a Weirman Angus or a WA or anything of the kind. We became, Weirman Angus became known by the naming, naming system, the Rito and the Ritas. Mm-hmm. So that, that was it, earlier on. Now everybody's using the name Rita now and the females, but uh, when you saw that, that was Weirman Angus. And so that's, and I, we, we just liked it. And uh, so that's, and it was, it was, it was kind of our thing. And, uh, so that's the reason we did it. The numbering, the numbering system, Rito 9J9 was born, and that's the number he was born with. That's, that's the sequence, the numbering sequence. And we liked it. And so from then on, uh, uh, I changed the numbers, the, the, the brand and the, tat, the, the tattoo, the name uh, on, on some other cattle. They, uh, that outstanding bull calf would be born what, Rito 88 would be a, would be a great example. He was born and he was tagged 8E23, but he went. But before he was registered as a as a weaning calf, he he began to stand out. So we just went down in the next lobe and tattooed him Rito 88, and he was branded 88. So mm-hmm. I just liked that, and and uh, Nick liked it, and uh, and and it was and it was like you said, Jim. It was a little bit different. Nobody else was doing it, so uh, every time we could get a chance, we'd name we'd name a bull. Uh, you know, numbers like that: eight nine J nine eighty eight three R three. You know, you know this type. Of thing, you know, yeah, six I six. I mean, there was there was so many of those that that were just you, you had the radio that was that was synonymous with them, but then the numbering system was was also too, and it was something people just didn't forget. Yep, it was. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep, and and the marketing and then the brand on the side was always uh, synonymous with the, with those Weirman cattle too. I remember. Yep, yep. That that W on the side was was definitely uh, definitely a mark of of Weirman Angus and quality. And and I just remember as I got introduced to it, um, you know that was that was always something you could always tell when you saw a Weirman cow or a Weirman bull in the pasture. <laughs> Brands and Barbed Wire is sponsored by BRC Brahmins. BRC has created their own legacy by taking their time-tested bloodlines, breed-leading performance, and classic style 
into uncharted territories of genomic excellence and premium marbling, arriving as the unmistakable leader of destination in the modern American Brahmin. For more information and their upcoming events, visit brcoutrere.com. That's B-R-C-U-T-R-E-R.com. So, Richard, so you, you started with, with Nick uh, in Georgia. And so jumping back in there and you're, and you're building that herd and you're buying, uh, you're buying those Jorgensen cows. And, and, and I assume those high selling bulls maybe were still there at Nick's and then how did, you know, where did you move from, from once you started down there in Georgia and some of those bulls and cows that, how did you grow from there? We were leasing more land and, and, and Georgia and, and uh, growing in numbers and what have you. But after we put that initial herd of cattle together, and that, that would include those, that handful of open cows from Jorgensen's, from that day until the day we sold out in 2012, dispersed the Wehrman herd, we'd bought six head of cows. Mm-hmm. Only six. We raised everything else, <clears throat> and uh, now that six head was pretty good cows. In 1982, we decided we needed to have a, 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 a sale, a bull sale, a, a cow sale and a bull sale together. And uh, we offered about 70 head of bulls and uh, about 50 head of cows. And the bulls were a good solid set of cows. And uh, two of the bulls that uh, we sold that day in 1982 didn't go that day, but uh, later year in later years, four and five years later, they made, they made bull studs. But, uh, uh, that sale, Jim, was an absolute disaster. We were selling, we were selling those pedigrees and those kinds of cattle. And in, in 1982, and you know, the, 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 the popular cattle of the Angus breed were the kind that could have walked and stepped over the kind of cattle we were offering, the moderate frame cows, you know. Now, I mean, it was a disaster. So, uh, in 1984, we decided we'd do it again. We'd try it again. That was worse. And uh, so we didn't know. We Now, we weren't about to change our philosophy and the kind of cattle we were breeding and raising because, again, Nick Weirman was a numbers man. We had more data. And I, and I obviously believed the data from day one. We were not about to change that. But what, what can we change here? So we just got to thinking, hey, look here. Uh, one day they've got uh, they've got to come to our kind of to this kind of cattle. It's got to happen because what we're doing suits the the, the commercial business. So in 1985, that after that disastrous sale in, two, in 1984, we learned that there was a place, and I knew this place. I knew this place. I'd been on it a number of times. I'd sold cattle to those people. I'd sold cattle for those people. The people who owned. Court Manor Plantation, just south of Newmarket, Virginia. We learned that place was for sale. And we were thinking maybe we're too far south. We just, we can't get people to your location, 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 you know. And uh, so we started trying to buy that place. And we got it bought uh, early in the, the spring of 1985. And uh, it had once upon a time been a magnificent operation, but it had been used and abused for years. And uh, it, it was a, uh, Court Manor Plantation was established in 1914 as a racehorse operation, and uh, the racehorses were dispersed in 1940. Uh, two Kentucky Derby winners were bred and ra- were raised on that place. Uh, yeah, the horse called Exterminator, and the horse called uh, the horse called Ray Count. Ray Count sired Count Fleet, who won the Derby. Uh, so, but anyway, a magnificent place, and all those old horse barns and everything, and some of them were falling down. Uh, and the grass was there was nothing there was no grass it was broadleaf weed and uh so we started building fence revamping the barns that could be revamped tearing the others tearing the others down tearing down tearing down houses that been we tore down five houses but uh, but establishing grass we did this the all of 1985 1986 july 6th we started putting cattle there and uh we moved cattle, horses, dogs, machinery from Cairo, Georgia to Newmarket, Virginia. 
uh, and it was an, it was quite an experience now because I had the, I had the yearling heifers bred to bulls that I would use in in Georgia and all performance bulls nine J nine Scotch cap Rito twenty one hundred those bulls the top performance bulls of the breed. Well, I'll tell you what. Now, when we moved them to Newmarket, Virginia, and uh, and the, the the weather, our cold 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 weather will increase the birth weight of calves. You talk about an experience. Now. I mean, we delivered <laughs> we delivered eighty five percent of them, and it was a tough deal. If it everything could ever make you believe in in the calving ease bulls, that was the that was the year to do it. So um, in 1987, we needed some money, and uh, we hadn't established a market in that part of the world yet. And uh, we decided we needed to have a cow sale. We offered 50 head of cattle, average $1,680, but we had a crowd. We couldn't even draw a crowd in Cairo, Georgia. We had a crowd. They all sold. We pulled in. We collected about $80,000 that day. But that day, October 17th, uh, 1987 was the day the stock market dropped $500. I dropped 500 points. And now, uh, but but everybody, but it, it but this happened while everybody was in the barn buying cows. If that had happened before, before the cow sale, we we, we might have had another disaster. Now the, you know, the stock market drops 500 500 points real often now, and you don't pay a lot of attention to it. But at that time, now that was a big deal. So anyway, we, we just we just continued to improve that place and breed cattle and, and save the replacement heifers and and uh, and cull the cows and breed cows and breed cattle. And in 1985, uh, we hauled all the commercial bulls we had up uh, along with us to, to Newmarket from Cairo. In 1985, I sold a hundred head of bulls, a hundred yearling bulls. To the box ranch in Wachula, Florida. The box ranch, and they were running thirty-three thousand cows. Wow! And uh, so that didn't, you know, that didn't bother them. Another hundred head didn't bother them too much. But we sold a hundred head, and from nineteen and eighty-five through about nineteen and ninety-two or so, I sent a hundred head of bulls a year to the box ranch in Wachula, Florida. Then uh, I didn't get enough money for them. The money wasn't good enough, but it was pretty decent, pretty decent. And but to be able to sell a hundred head of bulls and get them off the place, and you know, get them off the feed bill, and get and that still was a pretty good piece of money. Now a hundred head of bulls in nineteen and eighty nine, we had our we had our first bull sale, and uh, Select Sires bought a bull out of there for from us and had a had a good bull sale. 1990, and from then on, we had a bull sale every year. From then on, till we dispersed in 2012, and um, and and our bull sales kept getting bigger at the new market, and uh, kept getting a little smaller to the Florida market. But I still sold a lot of bulls in Florida up through 1994, and um, uh, and in the meantime, we were putting bulls and bull studs two and three a year. Just right along because we had. I uh, I know you mentioned it earlier that uh, Roy Wallace, uh, you you guys when you inter- introduced each other and developed a friendship, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, you put a lot of bulls into select sires, and 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 I know you and Roy were were good friends. But tell us a little bit about Roy. And Roy's passed away several years now. But tell us tell us about Roy and and your friendship and how that influenced you and and some of your decisions as well. Roy Wallace was a great was a was a great geneticist. He was, and he studied this thing. He was smart as a whip. And Roy Wallace thought in terms of the commercial business, the commercial cow business, mm-hmm. and everything about it, from from calving to growth to carcass merit to anything and everything there was. And uh, and he and I and he and I and Nick thought just exactly alike. And uh, he would recommend he would recommend some bulls, but not but not so much. He didn't recommend so many bulls. Uh, now his own bulls, uh, you know. I called him Roy. Tell me about him. Well, Richard, tell me about his mother. It always get, Jim. It always gets back to the great cow. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this bull's mother. Uh, uh, has he got any full sisters? Have you know? 
and uh, but he was totally uh, totally candid about everything. If there's something that he had that he didn't, uh, Richard, he's he'll suit this, but he won't suit what you're doing. So that was that was it. But we just we had the great we had the great friendship. But I admired and respected him. Uh, there was only one other. Well, that's not true. I shouldn't say that. But he was he was like Ray Woodward. Ray Woodward, ABS. Maybe you knew of Ray Woodward. Ray Woodward put all those great bulls together back in the '60s, late '50s, early '60s, up through up through about 1970 for ABS. Those two those two people. Uh, Really, they 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 made a mark. They made a great mark in the cattle business, in the commercial cow business. Uh, so that was that was my relationship. He was one of my best friends. Yep. And then you you were I know you sold bulls, and I had never seen it done before. I I I moved to Virginia in '92, Richard, and and was introduced to you all then, and and it's amazing to hear your story and, and, and to know, you know, sort of how you got along and how you were growing in the eighties to when I got basically introduced to you in the nineties and then how that thing was just rolling at that point. Right. I mean, you were putting bulls in bull studs and, and I know that, um, you know, what, what I found fascinating, hadn't seen it is, is you would lease those bulls to select and then sell them. And, yep. uh, and that seemed like a unique marketing, you know, deal. And, and I thought, man, that's a really, that's kind of a neat deal. And, and, uh, and, and I thought that was interesting. So tell us, tell us a little bit about from, from those sort of mid to late eighties, uh, when you were selling bulls into, into Florida and getting along pretty good with bull sales to, to where we, when I got sort of introduced to you in the night, early nineties and, and you were really, you know, you were really, really going there in the premier program you know, in the East and, and really in, in, in lots of parts of the country, you were, you were just, um, um, you know, one of the premier Angus programs in the country at that point. Yeah, we did that, that, uh, uh, lease that bull, but to sell him and we sold him pretty well. So we got some money up front, but those bulls made money. They went to select sires and, uh, and, uh, and a couple of bulls to ABS too, but they went to, they went to bull studs and they made money. And, uh, so, uh, so, uh, whoever, whoever invested in one of those bulls at our bull sale, uh, you know, they, they own half of the bull and they, so they would share in, in, uh, semen sales proceeds plus the, uh, plus the, uh, the sale of, of the AI certificates. And, uh, and it, and it was a good deal for everybody. Uh, the bulls were good. They stayed, stayed at the studs a long time. They made money. And so it was a good deal for everybody. And the more we, the more we did that, uh, the more successful we, we became with it. Uh, Rito six I six, we sold him to spear U cattle company in, in uh, wall, South Dakota and, uh, sold him for 32,000, uh, six I six pulled us in, um, and over the next 10 years, uh, $1,100,000 in same wow. certificate sales. He did the same thing for, for Spear U Cattle Company. And of course, Select Sire's got twice that. Right. You know, there's an example, but that's the best example now. But uh, Rito 9 FB3, 9 M9, I don't know, I could name a lot of bulls who just made uh, made money after the initial investment. Rito uh, 2878, we sold him for $53,000. Uh, and he died. He died young at Select Sire's. But uh, in a period of two years, uh, he pulled in for us and our partners would have gotten the same amount of money, $117,000 in a period of three years on a $53,000 investment. But they covered the place up with good females by that bull, too. You know, So it, was, uh, so it worked. It, it, it worked great. It's working and the same, the same method, the same uh, situation is working for some other people, too, today, namely gardeners. That was another relationship I was going to touch on, and and it seemed that uh, that that sort of uh, about the same time, you know, Henry was having some success, and they were doing some things by the numbers, and and we're good friends with Roy as well. And uh, you know, how did that sort of relationship start? And I know you guys were, you know, using some of each other's genetics, and and uh, at least early on. And how how did all that come come about? Well, uh, uh, 
through Roy, I met Henry Gardner, and and uh, early on we sold uh, we sold a lot of semen on a particular bull we'd raised, uh, fifteen hundred units, as a matter of fact, to Gardner's one day, and they had uh, and again they had the very same philosophy we had, and we were they were doing the same things, and so we they used our cattle. Uh, they bought a flush out of the out of the five H eleven cow that was by Scotch Cap that really did them a world of good. In the meantime, I was using, we were using gardener bulls and uh, back and forth. And, and it was just the great, the greatest situation and became great friends with Henry and, and Mark and Greg and the, the whole family. A great, a great organization, great people. Yep. So take us through, um, you know, and I remember, uh, you know, and even some of the females that, that, that you guys had and the female sales and, and how good they were. But I, I remember, I remember going to your sale and, and, uh, and you never said a lot from the, from the block, but, but anytime you did say something, I remember that a cow would come in and, and, uh, and she'd be sort of selling and then she'd stall for a minute and, and, and you'd say, now folks, this is one of the really good cows that's been raised here at Wehrman Angus. And that's all you needed to say. And then she'd start right back up and, and, uh, and take off and sell really good. So. But sort of take us through those '90s and that that sort of heyday and and into the into the later parts of Weirman and, and and retirement and some of those things. We were getting it done. We were having a lot of fun breeding and raising a lot of good cattle all all through the '90s there. And um, but we were really uh, and we bought more land as we went there at Weirman Angus and improved it and and added more cattle. But when we added more cattle, for the most part, it was it was through recips. And uh, because our ET program was really beginning to take off and doing a lot of it. And uh, of course, we had the, we had the great 5H11 cow, one of the great cows ever and her daughters. And we were using them pretty hard. And um, our female sales were great. Our sale at Newmarket was really, really, really good. And I was still sending bulls to Florida, but for not enough money. And I didn't know quite what to do here. We were increasing in numbers and along with everything. Along with the, everything came, uh, you know, came with those bulls, more bulls and more bulls. And I love selling bulls. An ego trip to me, Jim, is to sell a good bull or a bunch of, or a group of good bulls to a good commercial breeder. Now, we had a lot of fun selling a lot of females, but I had more fun with the bull sales. And, uh, and I didn't know quite where to go with these bulls. We couldn't just keep sending them to, we had too much money in those ET calves and they were too good. We just couldn't keep sending those bulls to Florida. One day, Jim, I believe in luck, and I've had a lot of it, and if some things happened in my lifetime at just exactly the right time, I met some people. If it happened earlier, I couldn't have handled it. If it happened later, it wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten as much good out of it. One morning in 1996, in June, I got a phone call. This fellow on the other line, on the end of the line, said, uh, and he identified himself. He said, my name is Tommy Donnell. I'm a third generation Texas rancher. I'm, I'm getting in the Angus. In fact, I've, I've gotten in the Angus business. My son and I are, now this is verbatim, Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, my, my, my son and I are going to be in your area in, in about a week. And we would like to stop by. I don't want any more of your time than you have to give me, but I'd like to get a look at, at Wehrman Angus. He said, I don't have to see everything. I just like a good bird's eye view and, and I'll get out of your hair. So that day, Tommy Donald and Matt, his son Matt, came along about nine o'clock that morning in June. And normally the sun would be out and it would be hot and the cattle would all be in the shade and and pretty hard to get a good look at them. That morning, the clouds are right down on the treetops. It was cool. It looked like it was going to rain at any minute, but it didn't. The ground was dry and it was perfect weather to look at cattle. And we had four, we had 1,967 acres and we had four places scattered in a four mile radius. We started out through there and I think every cow, everything, every calf, everything on that place was right up, was grazing right up next to the fence. We got to look at those cattle. I don't think we could have done it any better if we'd have driven in the pasture. Hmm. It was perfect. The trip lasted about an hour and a half. We'd stop and look and talk. And during that trip, I told Tommy Donald a story. I told him about our ET program. We had a lot of bulls, and I didn't know what to do with them. Good bulls, and I didn't know what to do with them. Tommy said, Richard, he said, I was, he, he was Donald Ag Products. He sold everything from ear tags to 
vaccine to weed killer to uh, semen to anything you could imagine. And he had a very, very, very successful business. Richard, he said, I know every commercial breeder from East Texas to uh, Southern Oklahoma, Southern Oklahoma uh, to uh, Eastern New Mexico. He said, I know them all. He said, let's get in the beef. Let's get in the bull business. So I sent Tommy 96 bulls uh, in November of 1996. We sold them private treaty. And it was, and Tommy held a, Tommy held a, uh, a field day there that day. And he rented the uh, local building there. And we had a set, had a set down lunch and had some speakers and, uh, and invited in a whole, the whole bunch of commercial breeders. It was probably that day in that, in that meeting hall there, there was probably 15,000 commercial cows there represented. Mm-hmm. And, so we sold those bulls private treaty and it was great. So from the, the spring of, so the, the spring of 1997 through the spring of 2011, we held two bull sales a year. Uh, one in, one in, uh, in March and one in November and I'd supply a hundred head of bulls and Tommy would supply a hundred head of bulls. And so for a lot of years, uh, we sold, uh, and, and the Weirman Donald bull sale became one of the established bull sales in the United States. And they were great. Every one of them, we sold bulls at the bull studs out of those, out of those sales, and they were great. So for a lot of years, we were selling about three hundred, counting the bulls. We were selling a hundred head of bulls in, in Newmarket, and uh, then two bull sales in Abilene, Texas. And uh, so uh, for a lot of years, we were selling about three hundred fifty bulls a year. And our female market was great. Uh, we'd breed three hundred, three hundred and twenty-five head of. Uh, virgin heifers every spring and uh and of course had all the etk plus the cow herd and and our female female markets were great uh they were great uh, they're unbelievable and we had but we had a great private treaty female market too so mm-hmm. and a bunch of bulls and bull studs and uh, you know that bull stud money is like sitting on the front porch waiting on your welfare check you know that just <laughs> kind of comes in it, it is <laughs> we had a lot of fun uh jim for a lot of years and that's and up to, uh, yeah, the, we lost the, the 5H11 cow, and, uh, but we had done, she had covered that place up, everything we did. And, and, um, and we were raising a lot of good donor cows, but we needed another donor cow. We just needed another cow. In, two th- in 2000, we bought the, the, the Gar Precision 2536 cow from Gardeners. Mm-hmm. And now you're talking about one. She and the 5H11 cow are two of the greatest cows who, who ever lived or, or maybe will ever live. And uh, so we started with this cow and the uh, ET program was very successful. We had a lot of cooperator herds. We had, we had about the five of the best commercial operations in the Shenandoah Valley as cooperator herds and had a great herd of cows, Mosier, Mosier ranches in Spalding, Nebraska. Uh, as, a, as a cooperator herd, so we were producing a lot of good cattle, and uh, and with this five, this twenty five thirty six cow, we've sold a little a little over eight million dollars. Now Gardner sold a part of that before we ever got hold of the cow, but we sold a little over eight million dollars worth of cattle out of that cow, and we covered the place up with daughters and granddaughters and great granddaughters and new sons and grandsons and all of that. So it was one of the, and we paid $45,000 for her. So, mm. so she was a good, Nick thought, Nick thought that was a good investment. <laughs> it was a pretty good investment. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it was, um, so that was, that's kind of, that was kind of where my Angus right on up to, uh, and we, as I say, we continue to have those, those bull sales in Abilene and, but it was great. It was great, Jim, all the way through, very successful. Uh, and I guess two things that I'm very proud of. In 1997, we were chosen by Beef Improvement Federation as the uh, seed stock producer of the year uh, in conjunction with Thomas Angus Ranch. It, we split it split that, that year. Two people two people won it, and uh, we we and Thomas Angus Ranch. And and the thing I was pretty proud of is that a lot of the genetics at at Thomas Angus Ranch at that time were came from Wherman Angus. Yep, yep. Another great program for sure, and. And you, I mean, you had an influence over all those. I mean, a lot of the performance programs in the country. I mean, I, I, I dare say most of them, if not all of them, 
you know, you used some Weirman bulls uh, at one point in time or had something out of a Weirman bull or a female at some point in time in their herds. You were, you, you definitely were very influential. So, so Richard, um, sort of take us through to, to when you dispersed, uh, you know, there in, in 2012 and, and I think is, is, you know, what brought the dispersal on and, and, uh, and maybe how tough a decision that was at the time and reflect on that with us a little bit. I partnered for 30 years. Nick Weirman was killed in a car wreck. Mm. And, you know, and it's a funny thing. Now, Nick was, uh, he was not an absentee owner. Now he was involved. And, uh, you know, I hear these, I hear these cowboys talking, these managers and everything. You know, I, I just see the, I just see the owner about twice a year and whatever. Those operations never last. It's mm-hmm. the operation where the owner is involved. And Nick Weirman was involved. And I, I don't know. In 30 years, we might have had a million conversations. I don't know. I, there's no way. <laughs> and uh, maybe the greatest, if I could say that, maybe the greatest conversation that we had ever had was two hours before he was killed. And uh, we were talking, and I distinctly remember the conversation. And we were talking about where is the bull going to be that's going to be good enough to breed to the heifer calves that these cows are carrying, not even on the ground, that these cows that we have and these ET calves, they hadn't even been born yet, those heifer calves. Where's the bull and who's, who's going to have the bull good enough to breed to those heifer calves? Now, maybe we'll raise him. Gardeners will probably raise him. Keneally's, somebody is going to raise him. They'll, he'll be there, but where's it going to come from? And uh, so two hours later, he was still in the car wreck. So Nick's oldest son, uh, and he had been involved all along, not not very much, but some. And so he uh, he became he he's, he became very involved then. But uh, it just as it was, it was just not working. It was just not working. It's the only way to say it. So we decided to uh, the thing to do was to was to was to disperse that set of cattle, and we did in in June of two thousand and twelve. Had a great dispersal. Had a great dispersal. Had uh, about eleven hundred people in the in the barn that those two days were two. It was a two day deal, and uh, we sent cattle all over the country. It was uh, it was it was a it was a, and, and a lot of those cows have shown up since then. They still do. Sold bulls, sold cattle, sold cattle into thirty seven states, and it was um, you know bittersweet deal, bittersweet you know. Uh, so, and, uh, but I still. I still work with uh, with a couple of operations, I, and, I, and I have some people who will send me their their pedigrees and performance information. I still dictate some meetings, and uh, and every spring, in, in April and in, in November, I still go to Canucci, Georgia, southeast southeast Georgia, uh, and help uh, Friendship Farms with a with a bull sale. Uh, Friendship Farms, one of our was one of our very, very, very best customers. And this fellow can take advice, but he's a good hand at David Horton, owner of Friendship Farms. He's a good hand in his own right. And I've kept I've kept in touch with all with most almost all of our Texas buyers back in the days when we were selling bulls into Texas. So I go every I go there twice a year and help him through his bull sale and we're still selling a lot of bulls spring and fall into Texas. Those same those same breeders and um, I go to the gym about five days a week. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, I volunteer. I volunteer two days two days a week at the food bank and uh, and I read a lot and, so, and I've got I've got a bunch of grandchildren around and there and one of our grandsons is plays ball at Shenandoah University. He's a left-handed pitcher and a pretty good ball player. All right, so, so we're we're pretty busy. That's good. That's good. And, and you recently got introduced to podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Recently got introduced to podcasts. You, you bet. Another thing I'm pretty proud of too, Jim, in 2010, uh, and I wish Nick Weirman had been alive to see it. We were selected by CAB as seed stock producer of the year that year. So in 1997 and 2010, the Weirman Angus herd was chosen as, as the best herd. I guess, I guess that's the best way to say it. Uh, at least we won those awards. Uh, of of all the bulls, I mean, is there a bull that, that particularly stands out to you that that you know that you remember or 
or is it just kind of all of them or was there one that that maybe a story or something that that you can reflect on or remember Rito 2 rt2 we we that bull topped our bull sale in uh, the day of the blizzard in night in 1993 we had about uh 15 people in the seats there was a blizzard uh at that time the worst snowstorm in the history of the east coast and that's the day we had our bull sale we couldn't cancel it but we had some uh, uh people on the phone uh and whatever we averaged about forty two hundred dollars and everybody was calling uh when are you gonna you had to cancel when's your next when your makeup day now we had it it was forty two hundred dollars but we had a lot of great phone action that bull was one of the one of the great female sires and uh he was uh sired by a, a grandson of traveler uh, that uh Dave, that uh, bill davis had produced and he was out of a out of a bando daughter who was out of a 9j and nine daughter who was out of a shoshone daughter who was out of a band 234 daughter so he, <clears throat> so he was he was bred to work and uh roy wallace told me a time or two when somebody calls for semen and i and i and i if i want to sell semen need to sell semen into the toughest environment in this country i sent them two rt2 great female sire six i six of course would have to be one of the great one of the great complete bulls ever ever maybe maybe the best bull i ever used i think he was was gar predestined mm, that, bull, okay. that bull could do more things well never did anything bad and could do more things well he addressed all of it from from birth weight to daughters to, to sail bulls to uh, carcass merit that might be the best, might be the best all around bull I ever used. So Richard, uh, as we near the end of the podcast, tell us a little bit about maybe some of your, um, you know, some of your personal achievements, uh, over the years. I know we've, we, we know a lot about Weirman Angus and, and, uh, and the successes you had there, but maybe some things that, that, that Richard had some success with over your career. Well, I, I was very, I, I was golden gloves champion, West Virginia. <laughs> we'll start with that. Were you, were you really? <laughs> Tell us about yeah. that. <laughs> well, I, I was going to high school, just a, a school there in, in, in Lewisburg, and uh, had the opportunity to go to a Greenbrier Military School, a very elite military prep school. I went there to play football and baseball and had a boxing team, and I got started there. And, and I got good enough at it to fight Golden Gloves and have some success. And uh, But in the cow business, um, personal things i don't know we had the great sales and that and the cattle were accepted for years and years and years and sought after which was which i would call that but but personal things i was um i guess uh, on the board of directors of virginia angus association president of virginia beef bcia uh, i was on the board of directors of the american angus association i was on the board of directors of bif and i was president of bif in 2002 and 2003 Judge the Denver, the Denver Bull Show, uh, three three times, three years in a row. Some things of that nature. I know that um, you know personally you, your success in the in the cow world and and outside of it. I mean, you obviously commanded a lot of respect, and and people people listen to you and, and listen to you about about your cattle and about you know how you made it cattle and all that, and then um, and then you know to hear about some of those successes and. And the Golden Gloves one now that that's a that's that's an interesting one as well. So is that uh, so I, I can't just let that one stop now. So how does that how do you become the champion in in West Virginia? How many people do you have to fight? And how's that? Uh, I had fifteen amateur fights, and I won all of them. I don't know how good I was. Uh, you know how good you are depends upon the competition you faced. You know, and I don't know how good the competition was, but it was about all I could handle. But <laughs> but. I got a, got a good start at Greenbrier Military School, and uh, and then I, I just went off with it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. What position did you play in football? I was uh, I was a tight end and a strong side linebacker, and I had some I had uh, a number of, of uh, small college scholarship offers, and I had a, a football baseball scholarship offer and to box at, at Virginia at the VMI Virginia Military Institute. The West Point of the South, as you know, and right. uh, and uh, and I'll tell you what, 
Jim, I seriously, seriously considered it. I loved, I loved the military situation at Greenbrier Military School. I loved. If I had gone to 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 VMI, I probably would have made a career in the military. I loved right. it. Right. But I had a, but I had a scholarship offer too to West Virginia University, and uh, I knew people there, and so that's what happened. Obviously. Yeah, you could go there and 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 study animal science and and agriculture and and do the sort of your other passion, right? Played some played some baseball as long as I could do it. Yeah, yep. No, that's great. That's great stories and and again, it's just been uh, it's been a real honor to to listen to uh, to your your history and your stories. And I really appreciate your time. And thanks again, Richard. Jim, I'm honored you would ask me to do this, and I deeply appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you. For our producer, Carlos Cheraboga, I'm your host, Jim Johnson. God bless, and thank you for listening to Brands and Barbed Wire. The Brands and Barbed Wire podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. You can also find additional content at our Brands and Barbed Wire Facebook page and at brandsandbarbedwire.com. We hope you enjoyed. Brands and Barbed Wire. Brands and Barbed Wire is sponsored by JMAR Genetics. The annual Quality Over Quantity Bull and Heifer Sale will be held on October 13th on DV Auction. There are over 30 bulls and 20 heifers on test, where you'll get information like feed efficiency, performance information, carcass ultrasound, genomic enhanced DPDs, and foot scores. Visit jmargenetics.com for more information.